Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches. And honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Betches Media presents Betches Moms with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom or wherever else you hide from your kids because you'll literally never be alone again. Hello and welcome back to Betches Moms. I'm Aileen. I'm Brittany. And today we are here with Lauren Olson, founder of Sleep in the City. You could find her at Sleep in the City on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I've followed you guys for a very long time on your main account. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thanks. So you're a certified sleep consultant. Can you tell us what that means and how you got to that place? of certified sleep consultant and what you do. Sure. Absolutely. So I do have over 250 hours of professional sleep training. And then I've been doing this professionally for seven years worldwide, helping over 5,000 families. I sort of just made an admission on my maternity leave to really just dive into sleep, especially when my own son wasn't napping more than 20 minutes at a time. And the problem that I found is that even with all the advice out there, you know, the Googles, you know, the blog articles, the sleep books that were around, you know, seven, eight years ago, and there were hardly any, they were either like 40 years old or there was nobody to like contact. Like there wasn't an email in the back of the book or a phone number to call. So you really are just left feeling like overwhelmed. And Mm -hmm. so just diving into that self-study you know, and, you know, working with my own son and then with my friends. And then by the time I had my second daughter, I'm like, well, why not just start, you know, a brand new schooling program while I'm at it? Cause I don't have enough to do. And that's when I got my education, my formal education, because I just wanted to be that person, you know, that somebody could reach out to, to be like, okay, I've read all your stuff, but I still need more help because you just need so much support as a new mom. Cause it's just, like I said, overwhelming. So in terms of just sleep and a baby, can you talk about like how important sleep is and why it's so important? And then also why it is so important for new moms and dads to make sure that a baby gets on some schedule at some point. Sure. Sure. So 
sleep is obviously important for a number of reasons, but number one, it's going to be development, right? So our babies are going to be able to connect those muscle tissues. Their brains are going to be able to develop a little bit more. And that's what we really want is we want a baby that is healthy and developing. Okay. So that's kind of the biggest one. We're doing this for their health. Uh, number two would be temperament. When a baby is meeting these napping minimums and they're sleeping better at night and they have a great nutrition plan, they're overall happier children. I am a realistic mom. I have realistic programs, but I want to just make everything overall just easier for people. And I find that if babies are sleeping and they are meeting these sleep requirements, they're just overall easy to parent in general. Um, with the when, when we talk about schedules, it's important to introduce a schedule. And this is a clock schedule by the time they're six months old. And there's a lot of people out there going, I'm not going to be on a schedule. I've got things to do. I get it. But the more you prioritize sleep, the better your child will sleep. So if you've got some social obligations or some mommy and me classes at 10 a.m., right in the middle of nap number one, you got to put them on hold for a few months. I promise you can go back to them. Okay. <laughs> Every now and then isn't going to completely throw you off, but routine. Routinely, it's great to be on a schedule where, you know, baby's sleeping in the same place at the same time every day. Prior to six months old, you want to go off a baby's sleep cues. So you want to be mindful of the clock, but you're more or less looking at their sleep cues, yawning, scratching their face, uh, fussing out of nowhere. A big one uh, for my children was purple eyelids. They look like they have purple eye makeup on. Flushed eyebrows is another good one. Um, all these cues that they can give us that signal us along with looking at the clock going, okay, I think it's been, you know, an hour and a half since baby's napped. It's clearly time. And then you start your nap routine. Okay. That's really helpful. Can you also share like nap requirements? Like what do you recommend? Yeah. So for itty bitty, my itty bitty babies, you know, these babies are sleeping anywhere. Newborns are sleeping anywhere from 16 to 18 hours per day. And that is broken up all over the place. So with newborns, there's really a newborns, meaning, you know, zero to three months, there's really no consistency in, in time and length. What starts to develop around the six to eight week mark when they switch their days and nights is that morning wake up time. And then with our newbies, we also only give about 45 to 60 minutes before starting nap number one. Okay. So baby will begin to wake up around, let's say 7am every day. And then, you know, okay, by 8am is nap number one. So it starts to slowly develop. And then at six months, you can get on that clock schedule. And I have a ton of free schedules for people all the way up until the age of four on my social media and website as well, just because it's ever changing. It does not stop changing. I could attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting about your methods, your whole philosophy is working with your baby on their natural sleep cycles and not yeah. using cry it out. So I think that there's a big misconception with sleep training your child that everyone hears sleep training and they're like, well, I would never let my child just cry, cry. But as we know, especially with your methods, that's not always the case. And I could attest that I sleep trained my now almost three-year-old and we didn't do cry it out. Mm -hmm. So I think people just are very quick to jump and say, I'm not doing cry it out. But so what does that mean? So your philosophy, what does that mean? How does that work? And how did you get into that? 
Right. So I 1000% agree with you. I think there's this connotation that sleep training equals cry it out. And therefore it's, you know, nobody wants to touch it with a 10 foot pole, or they're very passionate about not letting their child cry it out. So why would I ever want to be a sleep trainer? And Mm -hmm. there, but it's funny. It's, you can cry it out. You can use my methods. You can use the gentlest method on the planet. You're, you're going to sort of get to the same place. If you're consistent and you have a routine and everyone's on board, but there's so many ways to get there that don't necessarily involve a crowd, a child crying alone in their own room for 12 to 11 hours without anybody coming to check on them or be with them throughout the process. So crying it out is, is exactly that the extinction method, you know, giving them 11 to 12 hours to sort of sort it out on their own. And it's right. you know, dubbed the quick method. So I would say early on, you know, I, used a couple other methods, popular ones that are out there, you know, just kind of being a new sleep consultant and over the years and almost, you know, just through trial and error with my own children and my nieces and nephews, and then just gaining all this experience, I started to realize that there's actually things in the middle. Do you know what I mean? So, um, there are things in the middle of the methods that are out there because a lot of people come to me and they're sharing the bed with their baby. But if you Google that, you know, there's nothing that starts with sharing a bed with your baby, but I would say 60% of the women that come to me are doing so, and there's no solution out there. Is that something that you are okay with in your methods is uh, sharing a bed with your baby, or you kind of try and push parents away from that? You still want them to get the baby to sleep on their own. So from a liability, you know, professional answer standpoint, I always go along with what the AAP says, you know, they're the end all be all for infant safety sleep here in the U S you know, however, I do recognize that there are things that we do as mothers just, you know, to take the path of least resistance. We're tired. We're overwhelmed. Sometimes we're not necessarily going to listen to these guidelines. And I feel like while I'm not preaching that you should do those, I do recognize that they're done and I'm giving you ways to then form desirable habits in different locations. Should that be, you know, what you're working towards. In the market for investment worthy bags, watches and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So when you say naturally sleep training, as opposed Mm -hmm. to the cry it out, what does that mean? 
Right. So I really, really, really focus on what's going on in the brain and the body. So very, very neurological, very biological. And then as they get a little bit older, we work on the behavioral. So there's three big components. Okay. So we're not just saying, okay, you're going to go to a room and cry and sleep and it's done. Right. There's so many pieces of the puzzle that come into it. Right. And then we we also have to worry about mom's emotional well being because if we have, as mothers, aren't confident with what we're doing, that can sort of, those emotions can spill over to our babies. So for somebody listening though, like, and me curious, I'm about to have my first kid in August. Oh, um, congrats. Thank you. Um, practically, what is it that your method from a practical standpoint, like what do people have to do? <laughs> sure. So to my newborn moms, so you can start as early as day one, right? I definitely give tips. I call it sleep shaping for newborns because you're not necessarily training them sleep training and the sleep training methods that I use. You're going to see quick results because they're older, but babies, you know, brand new, fresh babies. I, which I love that's just all about routines and helping them learn how to do drowsy, but awake and encouraging it at the appropriate times during the day, using those three things I talked about, you know, the neurological and the biological and the behavioral. And it's all these things that come and form this beautiful, beautiful thing where babies almost preferring to be in their crib and they're preferring to fall asleep on their own. If we sort of set those standards, you know, right off the jump. And I think as a new mom myself, I didn't necessarily have these tools because there weren't any classes at the hospitals. You know, I took the, how to give a baby a bath and how to give them a diaper um, or how to change their diaper, but there was no, you know, how to get them down for a nap. You know, and so I really just felt as though going into it, I was sort of lacking those tools. And so that's what I really aim to provide to people. So they're not left feeling how I felt just overwhelmed, underprepared and without, you know, any knowledge surrounding what is such a huge piece of having a baby breastfeeding and sleep. That's all you need to know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So like, I felt like when I was sleep training my now three-year-old, Uh, Mm -hmm. We start, I actually read 12 hours by 12 weeks. And Mm -hmm. I think in there, they tell you to let them cry, but it's not Mm. technically the Ferber method, which the Ferber method is the cry it out method. Um, And a lot of it was based around their feeding schedule and what they're eating. So Mm -hmm. I, and I was also nursing at the time. So I, um, actually switched to pumping because I wanted mm-hmm. him. I was like, oh, I want, I want to make sure that he's getting seven ounces or I want to make sure whatever it was. Um, I know everybody's might not for that. Everybody would be like, well, I don't want to pump. How do I, how do I know how much they're getting, et cetera. But do you feel like with your method, that's a lot of it, like how much they're eating during the day. So they're not waking up to eat because they're not hungry. Under 12 months, 10,000%. Under three months, 100,000%. Okay. Because after six weeks, um, sleep is no longer a product of the tummy. It's a product of the brain at that point. So, but what I think people fall into is maybe they're unsure of how much baby's getting during the day. So they feed them at night and they feed them more at night and they wake up and dad's like, well, you got to feed them. That's obviously why they're crying. And, you know, we Mm -hmm. go through all these range of emotions and our sort of go-to is, is to feed a baby. That's what we're supposed to, it's what we're told Mm -hmm. to do. But I think what happens is the baby gets older and older and older. There's a thing happening that's called reverse cycling where baby's snacking frequently throughout the day, maybe every two to three hours, like at six 
to nine months, let's say for an example, Mm -hmm. but then taking the bulk of their calories in at night. So they're still waking up every two to three hours and draining these full bottles. Mm -hmm. And that's when we see that we work to then shift those calories around to the daytime so that they're getting the full feeds in the daytime and maybe a little dream feed here and there at night. So you feel like six weeks is usually the best time to start because that's when it switches from stomach to brain. Not necessarily. There's things you can do from zero to six weeks. Um, You can definitely encourage them to fall asleep on their own from zero to six Mm -hmm. weeks. I just really, really push on nutrition because without the right nutritional plan during the day, that's when you're going to run into all these issues at night. But I would say under six weeks, especially even six to eight weeks, babies are still learning to switch their days and nights around. So you're going to have some real funky nights and some real tough mornings from like that one to 5am stretch where things don't quite make sense at all, no matter how much you feed them. (laughs) So it's really after that eight week point that things start to get a little bit more routine in terms of, you know, when they eat, how much they eat, and then you can track it a little better. The first six weeks are tough to track. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely found that eight weeks, um, that's pretty much when we started. And I felt like that was a good starting point for us where, you know, Oliver, he was very much the baby that was up every two hours. Like he didn't sleep Mm -hmm. at all. Another thing was, do you feel that people should be working on their baby's night sleeping before their naps. Because I feel like a lot of times mothers and fathers get wrapped up in making sure their baby is napping a certain amount of times today, mm-hmm. uh, the day, or like in their wake windows and all because of all the different information that is out there. What makes most sense? Like, are you working backwards by working on naps first, or should you be working at night and then naps? So I'm so glad you answered this. Are you asked this question? What I use within my approaches, I do work backwards, if you will, but I start with nights, then bedtime, then naps. When I was very, very green at this, I worked on all three at once. And I will tell you, it's a lot of crying for mom and baby and everyone's very stressed and ever and overwhelmed and babies become overtired as a result. Um, I will also say if you do start at bedtime, babies tend to miss their wake window, which is that recommended time spent awake in between a nap and bedtime, for example. And if they are starting night one at bedtime and they're crying for two hours at night and they're falling asleep at 10 PM, now you've also got an overtired baby. So a lot of the times when people start with bedtime or start with naps, you run into these wake window issues where they're just not sleeping enough during the day at all in order to then consolidate your nights. So I actually work backwards. I work only on nights first. Once nights have sort of calmed down, we drop down to maybe one to two short wakings. Then we introduce bedtime and it's almost easy at that point because babies had X amount of days to work on putting themselves back to sleep with or without the parent present. And then as a result, later on down the road, naps begin to develop. And some parents have even said, oh, I'm rocking my baby at nap time. And they push away from me because they're ready to be put in the crib. They're like, I'm done with you. And you're rocking, you know, fiasco. I'm ready to go to sleep. And so it's almost this beautiful way that it works out because we have worked on the nights first. And I work on the nights first because neurologically speaking, you know, with melatonin and the body just being ready for sleep. There's all these things scientifically working for us in our favor at night that aren't necessarily working in our favor during the day.
So when you say you're, you start, or Brittany, when you also say when you start at eight weeks or six weeks, mm-hmm. what are you doing before then <laughs> from zero to six? And then from six, so then when you do start, what is the goal? Like how many hours of sleep is the goal that you know you've succeeded? And by when for your clients or your patients, do you feel like you've succeeded in sleep? What did you say? Not training, shaping, sleep, <laughs> sleep, shaping. Shape. Yes. I, yes. I have to use a different term because I don't want anyone to think I'm sleep training and newborn. So sleep shaping and sleep shaping is all about just starting your routines. So nap time routines, this can be five minutes of rocking baby in the nursery, whichever room they sleep in at night, and then put, swaddling them up, turning on her white noise machine and putting them down for a nap. So these are just the routines that yeah. we do the bedtime routine, you know, really, I want to say like pretty easy things to start. You don't have to worry about schedules when they're that young. Um, you know, what time they napped and how long they napped and what the night should look like. There really is so much inconsistency under six months. It's hard to track. So mm-hmm. for the first six weeks, I really recommend that people, you know, invest in a white noise machine that they like work on swaddling, work on napping baby in the same place during the day that they sleep at night. Okay. That's a big one. Work on falling asleep, drowsy, but awake. And this is done through, and I know that's the drowsy, but awake thing's a big topic too, but drowsy, but awake is done through the eat, play, sleep routine. And I know both of these are big things to unpack, but essentially what the eat, play, sleep routine is, is upon waking from a nap, you're feeding, you know, bottle feeding, breastfeeding, supplementing baby, then a little bit of play. And then we start the nap time routine all over again. Is it baby jail for the first six weeks? Absolutely. You're doing this around the clock, but those are some great things to start just in the first six weeks. Now, after that, that's when the days and nights switch around and things start to consolidate a little bit more. I mean, I can tell you my best story on the planet. However, it's not super realistic. You know, at six weeks, they can be sleeping 10 hours straight. Does that happen to every baby? No, Um, I would say more realistically in my programs, I shoot for 10 hours by 10 weeks. So sort of similar to that book you brought up, but every month, you know, we're working on dropping a particular feed and we do that by bulking up calories during the day and slowly extending those wake windows so that baby is hungry enough. And it's also important for people to know too. I'm not just throwing advice out there. I always say in all of my programs, work with your doctors, run exactly what I'm telling you by your doctor and see what they say. And I haven't really ever had anyone come back and say, Oh, my doctor completely disagrees with you. You're wrong. So that's good. (laughs) Right. But it's all, I just feel like it's nice to know that there's, you know, your doctor or your pediatrician, the one that looks at the the weight and the growth charts, they're the ones seeing your baby on a day-to-day basis. And so combined with my advice, I think then you can really shoot for, you know, four to six hours straight by two months, six to eight hour stretches by three months. And then three months and up you're, you know, you're going into that 10 hours plus realm. This is full-term healthy babies. Right. So I was actually going to ask you, is there ever a medical reason that parent shouldn't be sleep shaping? sleep training. Sure. Yep. Yep. So, right. So baby's born prematurely. Um, all of my advice is based on their adjusted age. So would I necessarily recommend that a baby that was born at 30 weeks be sleeping six hours, you know, by the time that they are, well, now they're out of the womb. So they would be what 39 weeks adjusted. No. So always use the adjusted age. I also find that 
if a baby is born prematurely, they actually sleep really, really well up until their due date. And that's when things start to go the opposite for parents. So a lot of people come to me with that. Oh, my, my baby slept great, <laughs> you know, when they were in the NICU and when they were premature and now everything's turned on its head and that's right. super normal, very typical. Right. Cause they have to be a specific weight because there are times when babies uh, might not be meeting their weight standards and you do have to wake them to feed them, even if they are good. Absolutely. Sleepers. Absolutely. Doctor directed. Absolutely. And there's yeah. tons of reasons why a doctor could ask you to do that. And so it's always important. I would say every month to check in with your doctor. Yeah, on. for sure. Do you um, have like a go-to trick for quickly calming like a fussy baby? Yeah. So my son, I have a son and a daughter and they are exactly what, you know, the token active boy and then the sweet kind of fussier girl. And my go-to trick for the very active ones is to take them outdoors. So if you have a porch off your apartment or you have a backyard off your house, or maybe you can even walk them uh, in the stroller, I would walk them around my neighborhood every day at the same time with the same white noise Pandora station on, you know, way back when getting babies outside and just exposing them to that fresh air is huge. There's a lot going on. There's sounds, there's sights, there's, uh, there's people walking by, there's all these things to sort of just keep them busy. A lot of the times babies cry, not because they're tired, not because they're hungry, but they're just bored. They don't want to be in the same place in the same room in the same swing. I mean, that does not sound hideous. I mean, I wouldn't want to be it either. I probably cried a lot too. Um, (laughs) but with my, um, my calmer, more, um, temperament friendly babies, the ones that are a little bit more calm, like my daughter, something I did, I actually put this on my Instagram and my TikTok is something I, um, I called an air hold where you just hold them up right in front of you. And I wish I had a video to show everybody, but you hold them up in front of you and you support their booty with one hand and you put the other hand on their back or support their neck and you hold them away from your body, but out in front of you and then slightly go, woo. Woo. And people can see this, like I said, all my social media, but it's an instant hack to calm a fussy baby. That's great to know. Interesting. So being that I am pregnant as well, I'm due in two months. Oh my gosh. And I had- That's going to be fun. <laughs> having babies at the same time. Yeah, really fun. Um, <laughs> but I also have a toddler and I just moved him to a big boy bed because oh, I was told uh-huh. to do it three months before the baby or three months after the baby. Okay. Do you agree with that? And what are some tricks to keeping your toddler in his bed? And if they keep Mm. coming out, how do we fix that? Okay. So I want you to tell me when, after this goes down, I want you to tell me in three years when you're going to move your second child to the toddler bed. (laughs) I always, um, I feel like as first time parents, we're so excited to put them in the toddler bed and then things slowly start to go South. If we're not on top of it, toddlers do not forget (laughs) if you let them stay up five minutes later the night before you read two books three weeks ago, they're going to hit you up every single day. Okay. Oh yeah. So, um, that's actually the three months prior to baby coming. I do like that advice because it's a big, big change. It's not, um, it's not a small feat for a toddler to go from being surrounded by these walls to then being in this big empty room where they have freedom, not only to roam their room, but to roam the house. In some cases, you know, Mm -hmm. it would be like if we slept in a bedroom and then we slept in an empty warehouse, it'd be a little (laughs) bit overwhelming. So I do love the advice of starting that three months early. 
because with a new baby, that's when things tend to turn on their heads a little bit too, especially with the three-year-olds. So, um, with, you know, if we take the baby out of it, when would I, if I had another baby, when would I move them? Probably four. (laughs) I moved both my kids to a toddler bed at three and a half. It did what happened. And, you know, I do this for professionally as a living, um, my daughter, because I paid the attention to her the most when I did this, she stopped napping for three weeks straight. And then on the fourth, she went back to napping. So it wasn't necessarily, she was getting out of her bed all night coming to find me, but that's where that area of sleep suffered for her. But I do find that the majority of people, once the child figures out they can get out of their bed is when everything kind of turns on its head. So one really good thing that you can use is an okay to rise clock. The really popular one out there is from hatch hatch rest. You get on Amazon. We actually have that one. It's the, it's the best. I have two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this can be a signal for them to either stay in bed or yell out for mom that they are awake. I always tell people don't use it. Don't use an okay to wake clock as a signal to get out of your bed. There is no option to get out of your bed unless you're going to the bathroom. Your option is when the light turns green, mommy, I'm awake. And then they can call out for you. Okay. So we just take the whole getting off the bed thing, unless it's an emergency off the table completely. So they're going into it, not even knowing that that's an option. Um, if you're already there and your toddler's already visiting you at night, there's other things to do. Um, if they are in, if their love language is gifts, you can introduce a reward basket. Um, I call it a prize basket. Mm -hmm. And then the prize gets bigger and bigger towards the end of the week. And it doesn't even have to be something big. It could be dollar store items, or it can be something intangible lunch date with mom, you know, something like that. But there's um, a variety of ways to do it with toddlers. We work a lot more on the behavioral part of it and the biological part. So what can we do during the day to encourage them to sleep in their beds all night? And that's definitely keeping the nap. I'm saying it. I'm shouting it from the rooftops. Keep the nap until three and a half, you guys, if not longer. Okay. That's going to really help. (laughs) What face, Brittany, what face is that? Well, so... (laughs) Um, we've been having an issue with napping since we moved to the big boy bed. It's been Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks now. He won't nap on the weekends, but he goes to daycare and he naps at daycare. No problem, obviously. Um, so I honestly, I, I've just kind of been like, whatever, cause I don't have the strength at this point. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, he's napping during the week. So whatever, but maybe it is something that we do need to work on. I find that a lot. I'm I'm glad you brought up the daycare thing because a lot of moms will come to me and I work full time. My son sleeps great at daycare, but on the weekends, it, it just, you know, it all goes to hell. And what we have at daycares is a lot of social conformity. My friends are laying down. So I guess I should Mm -hmm. too, right? There's a lot of that going on. And then on the weekends, there's a lot of excitement, especially if you're working full time and your partner's working full time. It's sort of the the FOMO kind of kicks in. Well, what do you mean? I got to take a nap and go to sleep. So for these kiddos that are in sort of the same situation, what I do recommend is at the same time every day, I would say probably about an hour after lunch is when we do movie time on the couch. Um, some parents do tablet time on the couch, 30 minutes of a tablet, 60 minutes of a tablet. You are encouraging quiet time. I'm saying it on the couch, preferably it's in their room, but I'm saying on the couch because when you're pregnant, 
you know, I, best I of luck to you. I have z- you know what I mean? zero energy. <laughs> Literally couldn't exactly. care less at this point. Exactly. So if you're watching a movie every day, it can be the same movie, you know, at one or two o'clock every day, they're likely going to fall asleep. Hopefully at least Saturday or Sunday. If they don't nap during the day though, you guys, you can just put them down to bed a half hour to an hour earlier for that particular day. Is there anything that we haven't asked that you want to share is like uh, an important thing that people should be aware of or know, or like maybe a misconception? Yeah. Can you please share? Sure. Sure. So the two big things I touched on that I get a lot of questions on, um, drowsy, but awake and eat, play, sleep, drowsy, but awake. You guys is super difficult after four months. So a lot of people will come to me and say, I have a 12 month old baby and I tried drowsy, but awake, but it's not working. And I'm like, what is it? What, mm -hmm." What is drowsy, but awake? What does that mean? So drowsy, but awake is where you are working with a baby in their nap routine. You're getting them to a a state of drowsiness, maybe like an eight or a nine out of 10, and then putting them ideally in the crib peacefully. And then you're able to tiptoe out when they're still somewhat awake. Okay. Okay. If you are nap training a baby um, from day zero, from sleeping in your arms at 12 months to the crib, this is probably not going to go that well for you. We already kind of talked about that. Okay. Mm Um, so that's a big misconception that's out there. Drowsy, but awake, not super easy to do that after four months of age and then eat, play, sleep. A lot of people come to me and say, I feed my baby to sleep. And this is the only way I know how to get them drowsy and asleep, but they're often, uh, waking up every two to three hours at night past the newborn phase and they're taking short naps, you know, what gives, and it's really important that if you want baby to take these long naps and sleep all night in a crib and, you know, perfect harmony without you present, they're going to have to fall asleep that way in the first place. Okay. So if you fell asleep in bed with your husband or, you know, whoever, and then you wake up on the grass in your neighbor's yard, you, you, you can just imagine the range of emotions that you would go through as well, because scientifically speaking, there's no such thing as sleeping through the night. We wake up all night long and roll over or look at our phones or go to the bathroom or pull the blanket over our shoulder. And so babies go through these same things. They're called partial arousals in between sleep cycles. And these cycles repeat all night long. So really we're waking up about, I would say anywhere from two to four times a night, just as adults, we're so good at putting ourselves back to sleep. We just don't remember. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. That's <laughs> helpful. Cause I feel like there's a lot here. I like, I, to be honest with you have blacked out the first three months of Oliver's life. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So I, I say to my friends all the time, like, you're going to have to help me through this because I just don't remember. So I feel like this is a nice refresher of like, okay, yeah. Oh, at the drowsy, but awake and like getting them tired and the sleep cues and all of that. Exactly. I know how much of this comes sort of naturally, like to me, like I'm nervous about it happening, but how much of it comes naturally and you just sort of like go by the cues, like you said, of your child and how much of it do you need to sort of impose based on what you learn? So I, I started out like at a really young age in in early childhood and, you know, working with young children. And so I felt you know, silly me. I felt like I was more prepared than maybe somebody that had had the same experience when I had my first, 
but I will tell you that my, my son cried a lot and it wasn't colic. I was just missing those cues. I was missing the signals. I didn't know if I was supposed to hold him, put him in the bassinet, put him in the crib. And, and it, like you said, there's so much conflicting advice out there that I really, really recommend to people to find somebody a, that knows what they're talking about. Hopefully you find me. Um, I like to think I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> but, um, find someone that, you know, you trust and follow their advice because what I say, you're going to hear conflicting advice from somebody else. And again, there's so many ways to get to where you want to go. It just depends on what path you take to get there. And I think realistically, it doesn't have to include a ton of crying or it doesn't have to be the stressful thing. It doesn't have to be something that happens overnight. Um, it can be something that you and your baby do together and you work through those feelings together. And so I, you know, is it naturally instilled in me a little bit? Maybe, but as a new mom, like I said, I thought I was prepared, but I could have used a little bit more help in the sleep area. Yeah. It definitely um, came with the experience versus the experience, the experience of of sleep consulting versus experience of being a new mom. I, yeah, I blocked it all out too. That's why I always say like, (laughs) Oh, with my daughter, I can tell you everything that happened with my son. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. Um, Where can people kind of contact you if they want to inquire about, you know, working with you or just following you? I know we said sleep in the city, but just share, share where you can be discovered. Sure. Absolutely. So I am big on Instagram. I'm sleep and the city. That's my handle. My toddler sleep account is also toddler sleep. I have a sister account. Um, and that's where we talk about kiddos more to and up, but the big one is sleep and the city website, sleep and the city. We're big on DMS. We love DMS. People can ask us their questions straight in the DM. I would say uh, 75% of the time you're talking to me, I do also have a wonderful assistant who specializes in twins. So we've got a lot of experience between us. And then I also have the classes for newborns, uh, babies going through that four month regression. And then my big class uh, for the babies five to 18 months. And then I also have some stuff for my toddler moms as well. Ton of free information on Instagram, ton of free information on my blog. And like I said, I'm just an email or a DM away. People do not need to feel afraid or, you know, feel like they're going to get judged if they reached out or they, you know, you're not failing. I promise you just it's without these tools. It's just pure madness. I get it. Cause I've been there. It is. It's madness. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. Um, everyone, please go follow her and DM her. Thanks for having me guys. Thank you so much. So helpful. So that's it for this episode of Betcha's Moms Podcast. Thank you so much, Lauren Olson, for joining us. And everyone, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow Betcha's Moms on Instagram. Follow us, me at Aileen and Brittany at Brit Rich. And remember, there are no rules in this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom, right, Regina? Please stop talking. The Betches Moms podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Editing by Stacey Wong. Social media by Brittany Levine. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram and send us your emails to moms at Betches.com. Betches.